according to His promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by Him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the Scriptures. Join me once again in Proverbs 21. Proverbs 21, and we're going to be looking at verses 20 and 21 today. Although chances are we'll spend the whole hour in verse 20. There's a lot here. I like it. It's... um, it, it brings out so many principles related to money, related to food, related to life, related to our attitude of, uh, of wealth and uh, generosity. So um, yeah, I'll, I'll be shocked if we get down to verse 21. I think we'll spend today in verse 20. God is spirit. He must be worshiped in spirit and in truth in preparation for the study of the Word of God. Let's take a moment for silent prayer, calling upon our Father and His faithfulness to bless our time of study. Shall we pray? Almighty Father, we do thank you for this day. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for uh, being so faithful day by day, moment by moment. Father, watch over us, hedge us about, protect us. Thank you for the gentleman I spoke to this morning and uh, ask that you uh, take him where where you want him to be. Father, bless his travels and just thank you and praise you for keeping us safe in all things. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. All right. So Proverbs 20, 20, no, 21, 20. There is a uh, precious treasure. Nope, that's not it. I am in, yes, that's it, verse 20. All right. I was thinking uh, I had lost track of things because uh, verse 19, well, we, no, we're, we're ready for verse 20 this morning. If we had verse 18, verse 17, all right. Yeah, I'm not going to go into verse 20. We've touched that on uh, previous verses. The better to live in a desert land than with a contentious and vexing woman. And uh, we actually discussed that a bit when we were talking about the issues there in verse 9. Better to live in a corner of a roof than in a house shared with a contentious woman. So yeah, I'm not going to Go back to that again. We'll just let that go and move on to verse 20. So there is precious treasure and oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man swallows it up. So we have two parts to this verse, and they they go well together as they contrast wisdom with foolishness, as they contrast attitudes pertaining to uh, wealth. And we'll have to define the terms. What is the treasure? And uh, as it relates to food, because the the foolish man is, is devouring, he's swallowing. Um, and and uh, the combination of treasure and oil show you that really it's a larger picture than just a single item such as food or money. We're talking about an overall principle of, of uh, abundance, a uh, principle of abundance and how we should appreciate the abundance and work to accumulate the abundance and then we are properly oriented to the grace of God in the abundance as we enjoy it. And this is uh, the attitude that you can have with wisdom as you study the Word of God and develop God's perspective on uh, what He supplies and why He supplies it. And as we appreciate what God supplies and why He supplies it, we can accumulate an abundance without any guilt, without any um, mental attitude sin as it, as it comes down to it. You're not wrong if you have an abundance of treasure in your home if you have an abundance of oil and are using these uh, resources biblically, appropriately, 
as they are designed. You're also not wrong to eat it, but the, uh, the emphasis that's placed here in the second half of the verse, how a foolish man swallows it up, meaning that he utterly devours it, whereby having consumed it, having um, squandered it, you know, if you will, he's utterly devoured it. There's none left. He's not thinking about the future. He's not thinking about others. All he's thinking about is his own appetite. And the fact that it's all gone now is going to be a problem for him when, uh, when he gets hungry again. But that doesn't stop him from devouring it now. And uh, the glutton will always just devour while he can, when he can, and then uh, worry about the next meal uh, you know, at that time. So there's a lot of principles here. and We want to be able to break it down, I think, in this way. If I have the, uh, I know what I'm confused about is I don't have the slideshow running yet. Here we go. And so in our point 15, we were looking at that dual principle, the tandem of ransom, ransom and substitution. Got through that. And then here we go, point 16. Did we finish all of this last week? Yes, I think we did, because we talked about Haman being hoisted on his own petard in the Isaiah 43 and 2 Samuel. Okay, ransom and substitution. All right, so let's talk about our dwelling places. Our dwelling places. Not our homes, not our houses, but our dwelling places. And what we have here related to the vocabulary in this verse does spotlight a, a transient nature, spotlights a perspective that this world is not our home and that that uh, we're only here for the meantime and the issues there. But our dwelling places should feature accumulated precious treasure and oil as we avoid the snare of ruinous consumption. As we avoid the snare of ruinous uh, consumption. Okay? And I I chose this language uh, uh, specifically because of some of the buzzwords and some of the conflict that comes about in uh, in this day and age. Uh, There will be people that will uh, be very um, hostile to a consumer economy. They'll be very hostile to consumerism, as if the abuses of consumerism uh, are go so far as to destroy any legitimate consumption. And uh, and it's really uh, kind of becomes a, a touchy subject with respect to certain folks. And so I want to make sure that we're balanced on this and that we um, we don't allow certain words to be taken from our vocabulary and, and made off limits because some people like to use them as a weapon uh, with respect to different things. So um, to consume, uh, whether you're eating it or drinking it or enjoying it or driving it or whatever you're doing, um, to, be, uh, to, uh, to consume a, a food or a product is not a problem uh, if you're legitimately appreciative for the God that has supplied it. If you are enjoying in grace, the God that in grace is giving you all things to enjoy. That's not, uh, that's not the issue. And we can talk about the abuses of, of worldliness. We can talk about hyper-consumerism. We can talk about um, how people fail to identify the grace of God and His faithful provision when they're all wrapped up in temporal life circumstances and details. Don't get me wrong. There's plenty of uh, consumerism abuse in our culture. And this is what happens when a nation is prosperous and we grow fat, dumb, and happy and we can, we can uh, buy anything we want and enjoy anything we want and all these things. Uh, they are what they are. And that's, a diff- that's a message for a different day because that's not the message of uh, Proverbs 21.20. There is precious treasure and oil in the dwelling of the wise. 
And that's a good thing. Proverbs is presenting this as the ideal, presenting this as the reality. As far as what, what else would you expect? In the, if, if you have a believer that's walking in wisdom, and he's been walking in wisdom for some time, and he leads his household in principles of wisdom, well then, uh, he's going to be hardworking. He's not going to be a sluggard. He's not going to be wasteful. He's not going to be. He's going to be prudent in his in his uh, economics, in his in his uh, lifestyle choices. And so, as a matter of what's normal in wisdom literature, as a matter of what's normal with this type of a lifestyle, you're going to expect treasure. You're going to expect precious treasure. You're going to expect an abundance, and uh, and that's uh, described in the Bible as a good thing, not a bad thing. Okay? Whereas squandering it, having a ruinous consumption attitude, so uh, you know, as soon as you get it in the door, you're wolfing it down. Um, your uh, uh, the, the the hostility or the uh, the problem here with a ruinous consumption attitude, that's the antithesis, and we're going to see that. We're going to see that played out in the subpoints and all the other issues that we have here. Let's simply remind ourselves of uh, some things, and then we'll look at some vocabulary. And I'm not really I'm really trying to speak more in terms of concept today than specific vocabulary because it's it is unique, it is unusual in uh, in in different ways. Uh, but we've had concepts like this before, back in chapter ten and in chapter fifteen. So we can at least look at the at those to remind ourselves. Proverbs ten twenty two. It is the blessing of the Lord that makes rich, and He adds no sorrow to it. You might recall as we taught this back in chapter 10, that was some time ago, but uh, you know you can readily understand why a verse like this would lend itself to abuse and why prosperity theology people would you know, twist this around or say, see, God wants you to be rich, and if you're not rich, then something's wrong with you, there's a problem. And uh, they can abuse the text in any number of ways. But as we uh, studied it and looked at it and understand it, the, uh, the recognition is God is the one that does the blessings, and as we walk in God's provision, how can you not be rich? And you're rich in wisdom, and you're rich in grace, and you're rich in, in spiritual terms. And uh, that, that, that's not related at all to your tax bracket or, or where your, uh, where your uh, current balance might be in the checking account, or what kind of savings and investments you might happen to have somewhere. Um, no, you are blessed of the Lord. And so you have the, the eternal wealth and riches of, of His blessings. And best of all, unlike Satan, unlike the world system, when they offer their form of riches, when they offer the, uh, the pseudo-riches or they, they throw mammon at you to get you to worship mammon rather than God, uh, when the world does that, then there's sorrow attached. There's always strings attached. There's problems. There's a price to pay. There's, uh, there's ongoing guilt for being out of the will of God. Another mental attitude consequences to the wealth that, uh, that Satan will throw at you. So there's a tremendous contrast there too, and I hope we understand that. We're going we're gonna to kind of blend our message today in talking about, a lot of it will be about money, so we'll talk about riches. Uh, the treasures in 2120 may be financial treasures, they may be food treasures, they may be um, family treasures, they may be people, you know, that your, your wife, your children, your, your servants, your I mean, all these things can be considered treasures. Uh, the, in the parable Nathan gave David, he talked about a little uh, ewe lamb, a little uh, sheep that was treasured in the, in the house of, of, uh, of that man, in the parable, of course, that, uh, that Nathan was using to, uh, to wake up David. 
So there's a lot of treasures that we have. And in understanding what it means to be a treasure and what it means uh, to be precious is, uh, is key because world viewpoint perverts everything that God puts out there anyway, and they, they find pleasure and treasure in things that God says uh, no. <laughs> and and uh, it's kind of neat. Anyway, it's neat too, uh, especially when we, the very same language here for what's precious uh, that's used in, um, in, in the Garden of Eden when God plants every tree that is pleasing to the eyes and, is desire, and, and that is good for food. And you realize, well, he didn't have to do that. He could have just given us food that's edible, you know, that didn't have to look good. You know, why, why is it pleasing to the eyes? And why did he design this and, and, and provide humanity with a capacity for aesthetics the way that we do, the way that we can distinguish between beautiful and ugly, uh, good and bad smells, good and bad taste, and, and, and all the rest. So that's what we have here as we deal with the precious treasure. Well, what makes it a treasured item and what makes it precious? The norms and standards that God himself establishes in, uh, in creation. We also have a passage that we dealt with in chapter 15. 15 and verse 6. Great wealth is in the house of the righteous, but trouble is in the income of the wicked. Again, similar to what we just saw in Proverbs 10, a verse that uh, with appropriate context and balance and, and consideration of all of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. Uh, it's a verse that we can apply appropriately and, and enjoy. Uh, we're not going to pervert it. We're not going to twist it. We're not going to make this a foundation to a prosperity theology um, approach and uh, whereby we can, you know, talk to a brother that's struggling financially and uh, tell him there's something wrong with him, that he just needs a, uh, to have a better kind of faith or or uh, he needs to come clean and confess his sins and admit what he's doing wrong because he should be wealthy. And uh, because he's not wealthy, because he's presently being tested by God in a more modest economic condition, um, that there's something wrong. No, there's nothing wrong with that. We have the, the, uh, the temporal life means that he wants us to have at this time for his purposes. And... Um, and all the rest. I forgot to look at the numbers last night to see if I won $855 million in the, in the Mega Millions lottery, so I'll make sure I do that uh, when I get home. And, uh, and so if I don't show up for church tonight, you'll know that I failed the, <laughs> that I won the millions and failed the, the uh, prosperity test. No, I, I'll, I'll show up tonight. I'm going to act all cool like you won't even know that uh, I'll keep it all anonymous. Anyway, we are where He wants us to be if we keep ourselves where He wants us to be. This is the thing. So there is the sovereignty of God that places us where He wants us. He placed Adam in the garden. He placed Satan on the mountain. He places, uh, you know, He took Abraham to the land He wanted him. He told Jonah where He wanted him to go. And, and in the geographic will of God and all these other details of life, God makes His will known and we want to be obedient to, where, to, to what God has meaning where we're supposed to be, doing what we're supposed to be doing, and everything else. If we defy that, it's to our judgment, it's to our discipline. So, great wealth is in the house of the righteous. And as long as I'm dwelling with the Lord, I, I am, I'm the wealthiest guy in the world, right? Because uh, I have His portfolio of assets. And this is what we talked about with the great wealth, the treasury, the storehouse that we studied in, uh, in Colossians. 
All right. And then, of course, there's the ruinous consumption, which is the second half, the uh, trouble that's the income of the wicked here, or the, uh, the swallowing up, the devouring, the devouring. And the language there speaks of a devourer, speaks of a destroyer, speaks of sometimes it's employed in angelic conflict passages as it relates to our adversary and the, the, uh, the uh, fallen angels, the forces of darkness. Uh, they are destroyers. They are devourers. And um, we end up on a self-destructive path because who's to blame for this? I mean, you're the one that wolfed it down. You're the one that, that uh, devoured it all. Think about the prodigal son who devoured his wealth with, uh, with the harlots and, the, and the, uh, the whole story there. I think I put that in the notes. We should have that coming up. Anyway, that's uh, th- what uh, wisdom would have for us to avoid. To me, I think maybe the best place to turn is Psalm 112. Uh, although I'm not taken away from these Proverbs. I think these Proverbs are excellent. But you have a, a uh, development here in Psalm, in Psalm 112 that lays out so many of these things, touching on uh, money, you know, financial wealth, but also speaking to the spiritual issues that come as you are uh, a believer in the, uh, in the plan of God. The pericope heading here is uh, that the modern Bible translators gave it as prosperity of the one who fears the Lord. Yeah, that's not a bad title for the, for the uh, chapter, but it's not in Scripture. That's what the, the publisher threw in there as a heading for Psalm 112. Let's see if, uh, if they got it right. Um, hallelujah. That's how praise the Lord is rendered, and that's how the psalm begins. How happy, Asherah happiness, is the man who fears the Lord. This is the beatitude of, of wisdom literature, the Asherah statements. Uh, the, when, uh, when Asher was born, it's because his mother was happy and she named him happy, which is what Asher means. Happy is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. His descendants will be mighty on earth. The generation of the upright will be blessed. And so it's a, it's a thrill to be walking in the light and training up that next generation. So they can take it further than we did in our generation. Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Wealth and riches are in his house. And that might have a financial secular life uh, uh, application. It might not. There might, there's going to be degrees, of course, depending on, on what the plan of God is and where you are. But generally speaking, if you're following biblical principles and you're working, and you're, you're accumulating, that means you're saving, you're not uh, devouring every nickel that you make. If you're following the biblical principles, and you are accumulating an abundance, as we see, well then the consequence is yes, wealth and riches are going to be in your house, because you're following God's design. And as righteousness endures forever, unlike wealth and riches that don't endure forever, you know, secular wealth and riches, they, uh, you leave them behind when you depart. And uh, it's the uncertainty of riches. They come and they go. And uh, they get stolen, they get taxed, they get frittered away or whatever else happens. Or you die and you leave it to the, uh, to the uh, heirs and they do whatever they do. But righteousness endures forever. You have a, a treasure that you're laying up in heaven and blessings there that will glorify Jesus Christ for all eternity. Light arises in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious and compassionate and righteous. And so we start to see along with that accumulated wealth comes an attitude of generosity. 
And we start to see that really in reflecting the grace of God that supplied your abundance, you now become the conduit of the grace of God in extending that abundance to others. That's, a, that's all about being gracious and compassionate and righteous. It is well with a man who is gracious and lends. He will maintain his cause in judgment. That because you have the right attitude that, uh, that becomes rewardable at the, at the judgment seat of Christ. He will maintain his cause in judgment, for he will never be shaken. The righteous will be remembered forever. He will not fear evil tidings. See, this is the thing. When you're oriented to the will of God, you're oriented to the grace of God, then um, you know, the, the economic up and ups and downs, the political ups and downs, the every other ups and downs that, that temporal life puts us through, you just take it in stride because you're walking with the Lord anyway. And yea, though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, oh well, I'm with the Lord. So he will not fear evil tidings. His heart is steadfast, trusting the Lord. His heart is upheld. He will not fear until he looks with satisfaction on his enemies. Now I think, or the adversaries, I think the, the with satisfaction part is in italics. It's understood. You, it's supplied. Not really in the, in the Hebrew, but he is not fearing and he is looking upon his adversaries. You know, surveying the full spectrum of everyone that's hostile to you and, and the God you serve. And I think satisfaction's a nice insertion there. I think it's, it's not a bad. Um, you can look with confidence. You can look with um, stability. You can look with uh, a gracious perspective for satisfaction. And uh, because you're fearing the Lord. The adversaries don't, uh, don't concern you. He is given freely to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn will be exalted in honor. And this is the marvelous privilege. And this is why the Mosaic Law was designed in this way. And this is why the, the benevolence and the the, uh, the, the charity uh, procedures that were written into law were written in such a way that it gives believers the opportunity to, exp- to extend grace. And that uh, for those that were poor and destitute, there was provision for them, but they would be working. They would be working in the fields, the corners of the fields. They'd be working in them. There were other provisions that were made for the kinsman redeemer to be able to uh, redeem the poverty of his kinsmen because they recognized they were a part of a covenant nation and they were a part of, a, of an inheritance that was all by grace. And, uh, and I think we, we lose so much of that. When, <clears throat> when, you have, when government takes over the role of, of charity, when government takes over the role of benevolence, it's not benevolence. It's, it's, not, it's not believers in grace that are, that are loving the Lord and, and providing for, for their own. It's, um, it's just a course of taxation and redistribution and, it's, and it becomes manipulative and it becomes something that sparks resentment and it's, it's totally contrary to the spirit of, of, uh, of Mosaic law. Anyway, he's given freely to the poor and his righteousness endures forever. His horn will be exalted in honor. The wicked will see it and be vexed. So I said verses 1 through 9, there's a 10th verse in the psalm. The psalm ends with verse 10. Verses 1 through 9 give us the a pattern that, that matches Proverbs 20, uh, I'm sorry, Proverbs 21. It shows us the, the, the abundance and the attitude of sharing and the, the, uh, the principle of Proverbs 21, 20 is in those first nine verses. And then it closes with this 10th verse. <laughs> the sad news, right? 
kind of the flip side. Or the uh, Proverbs 21.20b with the fool that has devoured his uh, uh, devoured his uh, everything. The foolish man swallows it up. The precious treasury, the oil, everything. The foolish man swallows it up. Just devours it. It's gone. The wicked will see it and be vexed. He will gnash his teeth and melt away. The desire of the wicked will perish. And um, it's a, it's a testimony as Scripture gives again and again, no matter how wealthy the person may have in, uh, in earthly terms, it's not making him happy. His soul is still just as unstable as it was otherwise. And the principle is how uh, are we saved and is the Word of God renewing our minds? Is the Word of God transforming our thinking? And so Do we have uh, accumulated treasures in our homes? <laughs> of course we do. In, uh, and this is true in terms of money, in terms of food, in terms of family, in terms of uh, memories, in terms of everything that, that God supplies. Okay? And it may be, uh, it may be just um, moment, mementos. It might just be um, little things that, that, that um, you know, after my mom died we found all kinds of garbage that wasn't, you know, it was, but it was not, I mean, one garbage to her. It was treasure to her. It was precious treasure to her because it was, it was the expression of, you know, love that, that her children and grandchildren had given her and these little keepsakes and, and whatnot, okay? And, uh, you know, I get a little Hot Wheel, purple Hot Wheel car from, from, uh, from Benji, you know, the three-year-old boy here in the church, and, and this little Hot Wheel, of course it looked like Lydia, so it's extra cool, and... Uh, Anyway, so it's sitting on my desk at home, and, and I, I see it every day while I'm studying, and it's going to be there till the rapture or longer. And, uh, you know, that's precious treasure. That's precious treasure because it represents a family in this flock. It represents, uh, you know, the, the, the ministry of Austin Bible Church and, the, and the, uh, the love that we have for one another. So accumulated precious treasure. The fact is that it's there. That's where it is. And, and it's there not because we're hoarding it. It's there because we're functioning in wisdom and we are accumulating, but we're also graciously sharing. We want the abundance there because we want company. We want friends to come over. We want family to come over. We want to feast, and we don't want to feast on our own. All right, so this principle that we're studying in... in uh, Proverbs 21.20. This principle spans both the physical and spiritual dimensions of our life. And we're going to have a lot of back and forth where we're talking, uh, in, you know, on the one hand we're talking about secular life and we're talking about earthly food and, and, and uh, currency and, and all that, but then no, what we're really talking about is laying up treasure in heaven. We're talking about the spiritual priorities. And, and ultimately we're talking about both. We're talking about both in this, uh, in this way. Now, Subpoint A, the term dwelling place stresses the transient nature of this life. It stresses the transient nature of this life. You know, it's just a, a staying place. It's a camping area. It's, a, it's, a, it's a, a place for your sojourn and you're moving on the next day. Like the fellow we met this morning, just passing through. And, uh, all right, nice to meet you. I'll pray for you. Pray the Lord takes you where, uh, where He wants you to be. 
But the term dwelling place here stresses the transient nature of this life. And we're so familiar with this because this has been a point of emphasis in, in recent studies like 2 Corinthians, like Philippians, like Hebrews, right? 2 Corinthians 5, even our, our physical bodies are just a tent. And if this physical body is torn down, that is our, if this tent is torn down, that is our physical body, great. <laughs> that means we've got, we're ready for the next one, Right? And the next one is, is, is only an interim body anyway because the ultimate one is when the trumpet sounds and we get our resurrection body in, in uh, ecclesiastical glory. So uh, anyway, but you can read 2 Corinthians 5 and we do prefer to be absent from the body and at home with the Lord. If the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal, in the heavens. Indeed, in this house we groan. You probably noticed that. This body is a fallen body in a fallen world. And ever since Adam fell, uh, we've been subject to this curse. And so uh, this body decays. And even before Adam fell, we're going to take a look at this in our Genesis series. The fact is, is uh, th- those bodies, even though sinless, were still mortal. Subject to uh, tiredness, subject to uh, fatigue, subject to injury, subject to physical death, even sinless, still subject to physical death. They needed to eat. And uh, being eaters and being breathers, uh, you know, withholding food or withholding water or withholding uh, air, those sinless bodies were susceptible to injury and death. Anyway, the earthly, it's, it's a glory, it's a kind of glory. And we've borne that image. Now we're going to bear, uh, once we lay this image down, we're going to we'll take up the new one. And the resurrection body is, is of course, spiritual, not, not soulish. Anyway, so in this building we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven. Longing to be clothed. So we've borne the image of the earthly, we will bear the image of the heavenly. And as much as we, having put it on, will not be found naked. All right. Anyway, there's work on that. We'll have some naked lessons coming up because Adam and Eve were naked. And then when they tried to cover themselves, they were still naked. And that's going to be a principle we'll have to look at. We also have uh, Philippians chapter 3, our citizenship is in heaven. And you might remember that uh, people in Philippi might be very proud of being uh, citizens of Philippi because Philippi was granted Roman citizenship. And so Philippi was a Roman colony. It happened to be located in Macedonian geography, Macedonian real estate, but it was uh, conquered by the Romans and it was granted citizenship status. It was a Roman colony. And so um, it was a, a, a really a, a point of honor and a great privilege for the residents there to be Roman citizens. And that's uh, what makes it even more, uh, I think, significant that the Apostle Paul wrote in that letter to the Philippians that, hey, um, you know, our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So, uh, you know, it's not just a someday we'll be glad when we get there, but today we want to be there now. We're eagerly waiting. We're disappointed that it wasn't this morning. We're, we're, uh, we're mindful that day by day is, a, is a, a sense of urgency for evangelism and edification and whatnot, but this uh, we weren't promised today. We're eager to be face-to-face with our Lord, eagerly waiting for a Savior who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory. So, man, look, look out for that. No more glasses, no more cataracts, no more 
uh, cedar allergies or anything else. We uh, no more COVID. I know I grumble about the dumbest things. Uh, we got we got people that have serious health issues that have stage four, uh, like Esther. You know the 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 terminal uh, pancreatic cancer, and uh, you know I'm mumbling about cataracts and and uh, cedar allergies. But when uh, when the trumpet sounds and the Lord comes for us, He will indeed transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory. And oh, that it were today. By the exertion of the power that He has even to subject all things to Himself. He's going to transform us as His first act of the all things subjugation that the Father gave Him. And what a treasure that's going to be. Hebrews 11, verses 9 and 10. This is the attitude that, that uh, oh, don't do that. I know what I did. Don't do that again. Hebrews 11, 9 and 10. All right. The patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, specifically this is Abraham. Um, By faith he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land. Now God had promised him that land. God had taken him to that land. God had shown him the length and breadth of that land. But it was still a promise, even to the point that when when he died, it's still a promise to this day. Israel has, the Jewish people have never occupied the totality of the land grant. And when it came time to uh, to bury Sarah, he purchased a, a cave. He purchased a burial plot, even though it was his land. It was his by promise, but not yet by um, possession, not yet by claiming it in the possession of the kingdom. The kingdom's not even here yet. Anyway, there's, there's other studies on that. By faith he lived as an alien in the land of promise. How are we supposed to live? Well, yeah, but we don't even have a land of promise. So we're aliens in a land that's not even promised. Okay? But yes, we should live as sojourners and aliens. And uh, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. Now you don't have to literally live in a literal tent. You can have a house or a condo or whatever you want to live in. Uh, But the principle is is that we have a mindset of being transitory, that we're just transient, that we're just passing through. And um, if you want to live in a tent, you can. I did for six months in, in Saudi Arabia. But, um, you know, uh, houses are nicer, <laughs> okay? I wouldn't uh, go back to that tent. But we need to be transient in our attitude. He was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. We're looking for the same thing, right? According to His promise, we're looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Where do you think that city is going to land when it arrives, if it lands? But it descends out of heaven and it either rotates above the new earth or it lands on the new earth. Either way. That's what we're looking for. And it's according to His promise. So we should be functioning as aliens and strangers. And so we should enjoy the grace of God where we are with what He's given us and as we work we're imitating God, as we accumulate we're imitating God. Every step of this is an an imitation of God. Working imitates God. Producing imitates God. Accumulating that production imitates God. Having an abundance to share imitates God. All right. 
Whereas the other side, where you accumulate only to hoard and only to lust for more and only to be um, malcontent, no matter how much you have, you, you need more, so you're building larger barns to get more. You're not going to share with anybody because they don't deserve it anyway. You deserve all of it. And, and that, that's not the Father's invitation, that's Satan's invitation. That's what we've got to guard against. That's the, that's the consumption part of, uh, of this verse. Now it's important as we, uh, we're properly oriented to dwelling place, we also want to be properly oriented to precious. We want to be properly oriented to treasure. In all these terms, we can't, we're not free to redefine them. That's what Satan does. We're not free to, uh, to do this. Um, in fact, God pronounces woe. Are you familiar with Isaiah 5? I quote Isaiah 5 almost daily because the world we live in, it says, woe to those who call good evil and evil good. And every time we turn around, whether it's the news or it's entertainment or it's culture or it's neighbor, or, I mean, it's bad enough when it's a secular context. If it's, a, if it's my earthly neighbor telling me something about the neighborhood or, or, or whatever, okay? <laughs> I, I get that. I expect that. I, you know, that's going to change when dogs stop barking, because that's what dogs do. They bark. And, and these secular-minded neighbors that are living in, in um, my part of town, <laughs> they, they're going to change their views when dogs stop barking. I mean, it's just who they are and what they are. And, uh, and so they express different things. We have a neighborhood Facebook group where they post their, their, their wisdom. And uh, I don't know why I read it. I don't know why I, I even subscribe to the group other than it's, it's, it's interesting to me if... if uh, there's shots fired or a siren or something, and people can chime in and say where it was and what it was. But anyway, when I hear them calling good evil and evil good, it just bugs me to death. And I realize, wow, that's got to uh, got to bug God to death as well. What are those who call good evil good and good evil? Who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness? Who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter? See, all of these are contrasts, and they're contrasts that God designed, even bitter and sweet. And they are what they are, darkness and light. What are those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight? And I just think these folks that are doing this and they're redefining terms. So when we talk about precious treasure in the house of the righteous or the house of the wise, Let's understand that precious, as God defines it, may be worthless as the world defines it, so that's fine. And treasure, same thing. Let's use God's definitions and let's not turn things upside down in all kinds of different ways. All right. Hmm. It's not good for the man to be alone. So what did he bring him? A woman, thank you. <laughs> Male and female, he created them. And to, to redefine these things and to, I tell you, it's, it's blasphemy, it's evil, and this is, uh, this is where we are. Now the presence of such abundance, the presence of, some point B, the presence of such abundance is blessed by the Lord 
in the readiness to share in fellowship from such abundance. What is it that's the blessing? Having it? Is having it the blessing? No, having it is, is only the, the, a step along the way. What is the blessing? It's more blessed to give than to receive. What is the blessing? The blessing is to be rich in good works and ready to share. The blessing is having not squandered it or devoured it, you're now in a position to extend it and share it with others. So the presence of such abundance is blessed by the Lord in the readiness to share in fellowship from such abundance. Remember the, uh, the term quinonia, the term quinoneo, the, the noun and the verb for fellowship is, is a sharing, is a partaking and sharing. And this is what fellowship is. We share in the Father, we share in the Son, and we share with one another. The, uh, the abundance isn't the blessing. The blessing is the readiness to share. That's the blessing in fellowship from such abundance. And so the Lord's walking by and you have an abundance and you, you say, you know, do not pass me by. It's like the hymn. And, and man, stop here. Stay here. Well, let's get dinner together. Let's fellowship. Okay, Genesis 18, 1 through 8. And this this used to bother me, and it still bothers some people. In fact, I had to answer a question about this verse a while back. Fanny Crosby wrote a hymn about, uh, Do not pass me by, while on others thou art calling. Okay, And it's a great hymn, but it, it, it troubles believers sometimes, especially grace believers, if they think that it's, uh, it's connected to salvation. While on others thou art calling. And, and, and but it's not connected to salvation. It's connected to the opportunity to fellowship with our Savior. And it's, it's like, uh, uh, behold, I stand at the door and knock. That's a passage about fellowship, whereby if we choose to participate, we can have tremendous fellowship, mature doctrinal fellowship with our Savior. So in Genesis 18, and, and likewise, I think the do not pass me by is, I like the hymn. It's an old Fanny Crosby tune, and, and, and um, there's a lot in there that we could deal with. But while on others thou art calling, that I find a little amusing because the others he was calling on in this chapter was Sodom and Gomorrah. He was on his way to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, so, you know, the Lord has different calls at different times and different places. But on your way to calling upon Sodom and Gomorrah, stop here. Let's feast, let's fellowship. So the Lord appeared to him, again this is Abraham in this context, the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre. This is the plot that he had purchased, the cave of Machpelah and the oaks of Mamre. There were different places in his promised land where he sojourned, places that were very um, significant in his fellowship with the Lord, and this is one of them. So the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre while he was sitting at the tent door in the heat of the day. And when he lifted up his eyes and looked, behold, three men were standing opposite him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth. Now we know that this is the Lord in, in the Christophany appearance as the angel of the Lord. The other two men were not anthropological men, they were angels in the form of a man, materializing in this 
in, uh, in our material plane. And uh, always as males, never as females. <laughs> All right. I mentioned that a while back, and that sparked a lot of discussion. Well, where are the girl angels? Anyway, Jesus and two uh, associates are walking by, and so Abraham jumps up and says, My Lord. He lifted up his eyes and looked. Three men were standing opposite him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth. See, he could have acted like he didn't see him, or he could have just waved, or could have just whatever, and not invited them. No, he jumped up and he ran to where they were, hoping to stop them from, from passing by. Bowed himself to the earth and said, My Lord, if now I have found favor in your sight, please do not pass your servant by. If I have found favor. So Abraham is oriented to grace. And he wants this time of fellowship to be a celebration of grace. Please let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourself under the tree. Now he doesn't know where they're going, doesn't know what they're doing. He doesn't know if they're almost to their destination or they just barely started out. He doesn't know anything. But they're walking past his place and he has the means, he has the abundance He hasn't devoured all his wealth. He wants to share. And so water and washed feet and rest and bread and and then you can refresh yourselves and after that you may go on since you have visited your servant. This is a grace hospitality. And and the Lord and these men, they can can go on about their business and and it's... uh, They'll be refreshed. And and Abraham says, this is my favor. I get to do this. Counts it as an honor to uh, to provide in this way. And so they said, so do, as you have said. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Now this is also an object lesson. Uh, Husbands, when when you invite a bunch of people over for dinner and you forgot to tell your wife about it ahead of time. (laughs) All right. But see, here's the thing, and I suspect that this was not unique, that this was kind of normal for Abraham and Sarah, that they were very hospitable in their marriage. And um, anyway, didn't, she didn't seem put out by it. Hurried into the tent to Sarah and said, quickly, prepare three measures of fine flour and knead it and make bread cakes. Abraham also ran to the herd and took a tender and choice calf and gave it to the servant and hurried to prepare it. He took curds and milk and the calf uh, which he had prepared and placed it before them, and he was standing by them under the tree as they ate. There's just a marvelous pattern here. And this is the readiness that that Proverbs is telling us. We want to have an abundance, and we want to be ready to share. Good thing he had all this hanging out. All right. So then they said, where is Sarah, your wife? And they're going to have, they're going to talk doctrine, they're going to review the promise, I'm uh, going to promise that uh, they're now within a year. They've been waiting. How long have they been waiting to have this baby? And now they're going to find out that next time, this time next year, you'll have a baby boy. Okay. Anyway, there's tremendous fellowship there. How about 1 Thessalonians 4? Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and attend to your own business. A quiet life. This is why we have political prayers. First Timothy 2, we pray for kings and all who are in authority that we may live a quiet life in godliness and dignity. 
a peaceful and tranquil life. Okay? 1 Thessalonians 4, 11 and 12. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and attend to your own business and work with your hands just as we commanded you. When you do the work, instead of paying somebody else to do the work, you, you're more productive and you're more um, economical. You're more, uh, because you're not paying them to do it and you're doing it. And it assists in the accumulation of the abundance so that you will behave properly toward outsiders and not be in any need. The blessings of the abundance is that you can be a source of blessing and not drawing on somebody else's charity. Ephesians 4.28. See, this was Paul's pattern. He was a tent maker. When he got to Corinth, he supported himself. They didn't have the capacity to give, so he didn't uh, make an issue out of it. He who steals must steal no longer. This is part of our new position in Christ. If you used to be a thief, you're done with that as a, as a believer now. Now that you're saved, if you find that your former occupation is no longer compatible with your new nature in Christ, then you need a new line of work. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with one who has need. Notice, he's not, Paul's not saying, get a job and work so that you can provide for yourself. That goes without saying. You're gonna, you're gonna, God's going to provide all your need anyway. It's, it's the grace of God that provides for you. But you're going to be working as, a, as an imitator of God, as a fellow worker with God. You're going to be working not just to supply your need, because God does that. You're going to be working to accumulate an abundance. Because there's brothers and sisters that need help. There's, a, there's ministry of the Word of God that needs to be supported. There's missionaries that need to be supported. There's no shortage of, uh, of uh, targets, <laughs> uh, objects for your grace, assuming that you've accumulated it. <laughs> Christopher asked me last night, can you even spend $855 million? I can try. <laughs> All right. I can, uh, there's, there's lots of ministries I'd love to support. There's lots of things we can do. So, performing his own, with his own hands what is good so that he will have something to share with one who has need. With one who has need. 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited. God didn't put you in that tax bracket to puff you up or make you full of yourself. He put you there for His purpose. Don't be conceited and don't fix your hope on the uncertainty of riches. Don't think, oh, I've made it now, I'll never have another problem ever again. It's not why He put you there. And besides, those riches are uncertain anyway. Fix your hope on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Purpose clause, to enjoy. Why did He give it to you? To enjoy it. Don't feel bad about having it. Don't let uh, somebody else guilt you about having it. God gave it to you. Thank the Lord for His grace and enjoy it. But then, instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works. So you have uh, some earthly riches, 
Make sure you don't uh, abandon the spiritual riches. Be rich in good works. Be generous and ready to share. Otherwise, what are you doing? In the being readiness and being ready to share, you are actually storing up for themselves the treasures of a good foundation for the future. If you're not using the resources God gave you for the reasons God gave them for, uh, to you, then you're not laying up treasure in heaven. So think about it. God gave me a spiritual gift. If I don't use it to feed the flock, what am I doing? I'm not laying up treasures in heaven, I'll tell you that. If God gave me the gift of giving, if God gave me the gift of evangelist, if God, whatever my gift is, I've got to use what God gave me the way He designed it to be used. And then even without the gift of giving, every believer has some kind of resources God has supplied. Storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future, they may take hold of that which is life indeed. This life is not life indeed. This life is the preparation for what is life indeed. The life indeed is forever. Eternal life with Jesus Christ. That's life indeed. We're just preparing now to get there. Failure to accumulate as God designed, as God designed us to, results in an ill preparedness for ministry. An ill preparedness for ministry. Abraham and Sarah would have totally missed out on that ministry they had that day if, uh, and praying for Sodom and Gomorrah and all the other things, receiving the promise, all the laughing, all the doctrine, they would have totally missed out on that if they had failed to accumulate as God designed them to. They didn't have the hospitality preparedness. And uh, look to the Anto Slugger, Pro, uh, Proverbs 6, 6 through 11. Go to the Anto Slugger to observe her ways and be wise, which having no chief officer or ruler that we can visibly see, of course, prepares her food in the summer and gathers her provision in the harvest. How long will you lie down, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? This is the motivation for the world's first snooze alarm. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little holding of the, fan, of the hands to rest. Just one more snooze, one more snooze, one more snooze. Yeah, you said that seven snoozes ago. When are you getting up? Your poverty will come in like a vagabond and your need like an armed man. Failure to accumulate as God designed us to. Matthew 25, verses 4 and 5. The foolish virgins <laughs> didn't have any oil. Why didn't they accumulate? Why weren't they prepared? It's too late now. You're running out trying to find a 24-hour 7-Eleven somewhere and they haven't been invented yet. Okay? It's practically midnight. The bridegroom is here. But the fruit and took oil and flasks along with the lamps. At midnight there was a shout, Behold the bridegroom, come to meet him. So, anyway, all these principles. The um, ruinous consumption. Ruinous consumption. This is a self destructive behavior. Again, when we look to uh, the second part of Proverbs 21, 20, there is precious treasure and oil in the dwelling of the wise. That's the, on the good side. Then on the flip side, a foolish man swallows it up. 
The foolish man swallows it up. And who can he blame but himself? He's the one that wolfed it down. He did the swallowing. He did the devouring. He did the self-destructive consumption. Has God provided for you so that you can devour it all? Is that why he gave it to you? You know, it's, it's like the... Um, <laughs> there were principles, like with manna in the wilderness. He was teaching them for that time about daily provision and daily faith. And, and the, only day, the only time they ever accumulated was on Friday so that they would have a second day ready to go for their Sabbath. Otherwise, it was one day per day. And, and that's what he taught them in that season of the wilderness wanderings. But that was not normative. That was not normal. That's certainly not how we're supposed to live. I mean, if I, if I consume every morsel of food in my house to where there's nothing left, and I don't know where tomorrow's morsel is going to come from, that's not the, the lifestyle that the, the walk of wisdom would have for me to pursue. I mean, if I'm in that utter destitution, I want to know why. How's the Father testing me here? What was the step that got me here? All right. I think there's some other principles too that we want to see. And rather than try to rush through this in two whole minutes, let me just let me just stop here. This is a better stopping point anyway. Well, we'll pick up with this next week because um, I do want to talk about this and I want to talk about because in everything there's the balance and we have to compare Scripture to Scripture and no verse is of its own private interpretation as if it stands as the only word in the Bible on the topic. We do have give us this day our daily bread. We do have uh, uh, my God shall supply your need. We do have principles Okay, uh, we do have a verse that says, "Don't store up treasure on earth, where thieves and, and moth, you know, moth and rust destroy, thieves break up and steal." Right? And that verse says, "Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven." So if I'm not careful, I'm gonna have a verse that says, "Don't lay up treasures on earth, but lay up treasures in heaven." And I'm gonna have a verse that says, uh, "There is precious treasure in the house of the wise man, but the the fool uh, devours, swallows it up." Both verses are true. We accept both as true in their context, in their appropriate application. And so I think it's uh, good that we slow down and take the time to, to, to deal with these things. All right. So we'll save point D for next week, and we'll save verse 21 for next week. Pursuing righteousness. He who pursues righteousness and loyalty finds life, righteousness, and honor. This is the salvation and sanctification as it's presented here in the Old Testament. We'll have some, uh, we'll have some good, good principles to go with that as well. So, Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for your faithfulness. Pray that you continue to open our eyes to wisdom and the appropriate application of all things, Father. That we have the appropriate adjustment to temporal life circumstances, uh, to political life circumstances, to spiritual life circumstances, and I pray that we keep the first things first, so that the second things can be second, and the third things can be third. I thank you, Father, for the Word of God that lays these things um, in, in a very clear way so that as we study to show ourselves approved, uh, Father, it's, uh, we're accountable. We're accountable for how you've equipped us. And I thank you for that. I thank you, Father, and I praise you in the name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.